0: Welcome to Purposely Catholic. This program is a critical part of how we assist parents with children in living up to their call to be the primary catechists and teachers of the faith in their homes. Over the course of our time together, we'll hear from Father Len McMillan as we discuss matters of the faith central to every Catholic family. Thank you for joining us. Hello, my name is Father Len McMillan. I'm the pastor of St. Pius Parish here in Coeur d'Alene, and this is Purposely Catholic. We're going to discuss the commandments seven through 10, I believe. And we have some live guests, so um, do you want to introduce yourself?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I'm Liz McAlster. I am
2: third grade teacher at Holy Family Catholic School, and this is my daughter. Hi, I'm Faith McAllister. I attend Holy Family Catholic School, and this is my mom.
0: <laughs> that is so nice. And just before we started filming, Faith sh- said that she was too fabulous for her mother. So, <laughs> you know, I like that kind of self-confidence. That's great. Good for you. So let's start with um, commandment number seven. Now, to be honest, I'm not an idiot. I just appear as one. Um, <laughs> And I'm really good at theology. What I'm not good at is explaining it to children. So I'm here to explain it to the parents. But I'm so glad that you brought faith because I'm not sure if I'll talk over. So I'm just going to go for it. So what is the Seventh Commandment?
2: So the Seventh Commandment is not being, like not lying because, wait, no, it's not not stealing, is yeah. not stealing. I, I meant that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, so, um, yeah, that's, now, could I just want to get a running jump at this, even though I mentioned it before. Believe it or not, all these deal with love. The Passover is, a Sinai ceremony, sorry, is a wedding between God and humanity. The wedding kind of gets halted. So when Christ comes, Christ is going to restart the wedding, right? So God says, no. We got to fall in love. We're going to get married. And if this marriage is going to work, don't do these things against love. Love never does these things. And one of them, number, as you mentioned, number seven is no stealing. And this sounds kind of strange, but I really do believe it's against love. So if I was a parent, I'd say, We don't steal because it's against love. And this sounds strange, this is a true story about. <clears throat> Um, a relative of mine We went over to um, there's a family gathering and we went over to their house and um, she left the Catholic church and became a fundamentalist. Um, so <laughs> anyhow, we're in her patio with the family and she has these beautiful umbrellas. And uh, so one of my relatives says, wow, these are really nice umbrellas. And she says, oh yeah, they're really inexpensive. And, they only cost like 20 bucks. So my relative says, wow, where did you get these? And she says, oh, you just go to this store. And uh, this is a little while ago, but uh, this is when they had pri- you'd stick price tags on things with glue. And she says, if you just take your fingernail and peel <gasps> off something from another item that are 20 bucks and pl- replace it with these, you get it at a discount. Discount. So only because I like to be aggressive. I said, that's not a discount. That's stealing. She says, no, no, that's a discount. I said, no, no, that's stealing. And the odd part is, um, even though she's a fundamentalist, it has to be in the Bible. She just redefined what stealing is. Mm -hmm. And it's not just stealing, but, um, the worst part is over the years, uh, she increases her stealing and increases her selfishness. Um, where it's never enough. And how this relates to love is that sounds kind of strange. Even though she's a thief, she was really incapable of love because she becomes more and more self-centered that I've got to get everything. Um, And there's no generosity. And the odd part is one of the definitions of God is pure generosity. God is incapable of selfishness. God just wants to give and give and give. Um, so since I'm so happy we have a child here, yeah. does that make sense why it's against love?
2: Yeah, it does. It definitely does make sense to me because like you know thinking about tips, especially, like it's necessarily not a, like a sin to not tip, but just thinking about if somebody does all of this work for you, it's kind of selfish to just not give them anything in return.
0: True. However, I'd also say it's not so, it's selfish not to pay them a just wage to begin with. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Where um, they don't have to, you know, bay. live off of the tip. Right. Yeah.
0: So we'll go with mother. Mother, Liz, <laughs> do you have anything that you would add to teach your children not to steal?
1: Um... Well, I, I like that you brought it to love. Um, in in my classroom, we talk about how the first three commandments are about loving God. The first commandment uh, the, are the the biggest commandment, and then the um, only second under that is to love your neighbor. And it really does if, if you love someone, um, you're not going to to take away something that is theirs. Um, something whether it is their um, Um, their wages, their personal items, um, their friendships even, you know, which kind of leads into um, when we covet. Um, But I think that to love someone, it really is um, uh, making sure that they have, um, that you're not internally um, practicing greed um, so that uh, I, I think that that comes back to, you know, it's not just those things that we want on the outside, but it's we're feeding the greed and this this personal.
0: Well, since you both mentioned something economic, tipping and uh, like if you expand stealing, it's not just things yes. that you steal. Yeah, it's I was also like, time.
2: Yeah, I was talking you, to my mom about oh, that too. Like,
0: by time, I mean like yeah. a wage. If you're earning a wage, you're getting paid. And this sounds kind of strange. I had this Irish grandmother who, I don't know if you know Irish women, but they tend to be kind of harsh. Have you ever met any Irish women? (laughs) Um, They tend to be kind of domineering and harsh. I'm just (laughs) saying. That's a profile. Um, Anyhow, my sisters were working a a job at an ice cream parlor. And um, my grandmother was kind of disgusted uh, because she chewed out one of my sisters, saying, no, no, if you're getting paid, you work. And my sister said, but there's nothing to do, so... I was on the phone talking with friends. And my grandmother says, no, you're getting paid. If you're getting paid to work, wipe down the counters. And my sister said, but I already wiped down the counters. Wipe them down again. You're not getting paid to talk to your friends. And my grandmother was like, you're stealing from your employer. And I thought, I remember as a kid, I was still too early to work, but I was like, that makes sense to me. Because once you start saying, well, I don't have enough work, and then you just start becoming more and more lazy and more and more selfish Mm -hmm. um so that does make sense to you so it could be a lot more than just things it's time and remember the employee or that sorry the relative i mentioned who took the discount yes they also never paid taxes in Mm -hmm. years so Mm -hmm. they love living in the united states but they don't contribute Mm -hmm. and this is the odd part in the old testament um God commands on every Sabbath to offer bread and wine on the altar. So, like, when it says keep the Sabbath, believe it or not, it means you have to offer a gift. And the gift is bread and wine. But the reason in the Old Testament God says why you have to offer bread and wine is because humanity has to be constantly reminded your life is supposed to be a gift for others. If you're in relationship with God who is love, we don't take and take and take. We've become this image of give and give and give. Or, um, I just love this line in the Old Testament where God says, how dare anybody show up to the presence of God without a gift to offer? So if God is generosity, then we have to learn how to become generous. And if you learn how to steal, like my relative, you just take and take and take. And then, like my um, relative... You feel entitled that, I mean, I deserve a uh, discount. I deserve not to pay my taxes.
1: And I think, too, it becomes habitual. You know, whether it's a vice or a virtue, um, when you practice something over and over, um, you know, it becomes habitual. Everything's
0: a habit. mm -hmm. Well, that brings me to our next commandment, the Eighth Commandment, which, oh, I actually kind of forget what that is again. That one's a lying one. Oh, lying. (laughs) Good, because I just lied. I didn't remember <laughs> what it was. I was just <laughs> trying to make uh, you say I see. <laughs> so um, lying, that seems pretty interesting. Uh, but have you ever heard of a white lie?
2: Yes, I have.
0: What's a white lie?
2: It's kind of when you lie just like a little bit about something because you want it to just sound a little bit better or not as intense, I mm-hmm. guess, in a way.
0: So uh, if God says, I shall not lie, Is white lies just to get out of a situation? Is that okay? It wouldn't be. Mm, I agree. Yeah. You know why? And here's the thing. I love to joke. So Mm -hmm. uh, part of my joking is not to deceive. It's just to over-exaggerate something. Yes. Um, But a white lie is to deceive. Usually, to be honest, I always think it's due to cowardness. You just can't, you just don't want to. You can say hurt somebody's feelings. Or well, own up to something. Or own up to something. Yeah. But really, it's cowardice. Mm-hmm. And there's this guy who got married. Um, who He was married. As, actually, they had this interview. I thought it was so fascinating. He was married, and when he was married, his wife caught him in a lie. And it was a white lie, but it did really hurt her feelings because then she said, well, how am I going to trust you? Mm-hmm. So he thought about that, and he decided, you know, I'm taking a vow never to lie again. It was a great interview, and the interviewer was like, "Oh, come on, you must have lied. Some, you must have told white lies." And he says, "No, I don't tell white lies." And he says, "What if somebody says that you know something?" He says, "You know, a white lie is because you either lack the courage or the creativity to answer correctly. <laughs> like, I don't mm-hmm. have to uh, put things harshly, but I won't be a coward and not lie." So then the uh, says, okay, so it turned out to be a extraordinarily happy marriage. And he says, okay, say you and your wife are extraordinarily happy because you have absolute trust to each other. It's about love. He says, but what if your wife said, do I look good in this outfit? Mm -hmm. He said, no. Uh, Early on, after I made that vow, I wouldn't lie to her. And it upset her. So finally she says to me, you know, when I ask, do I look good in this outfit? I don't want you to tell me where I look bad. I want you to help my self confidence. He says, "Oh, okay, I can do that." So does I never lie, but I understand sometimes I don't have to be completely forthright and say, "Oh my gosh, that looks terrible." What I need to say is something to bolster her confidence, but I don't lie. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Ah, that is so clever." And he said, "And this is part of the interview that um, you no know, that." made my marriage much better my wife completely trusts me i just had to learn that oh the question is not about the outfit the question is maybe she just needs self-confidence and so there is this book i absolutely love by dan arinelli called honesty or the truth about dishonesty um and a lot of people you know when it comes to white lies it's either cowardice or they just don't want to speak up but it, they did multiple experiments, and I'm trying to gain, gain this to children. Yes. They did multiple experience uh, experiments where you just have to tell a lie. So they take well, two groups of people, test your honesty out. Um, then with one group, they say, oh, here are some Gucci sunglasses, very, very expensive sunglasses. Yeah. And the other group, you say, these are not Gucci sunglasses, but... You have to tell everybody for one month that they're Gucci sunglasses. And they look exactly like Gucci sunglasses. So Hmm. what difference does it make? And here's the difference. Is that the group that said they're Gucci sunglasses, after a month, they're really more or less the same as honest as they were before. The ones that only had to tell a teeny, teeny, tiny lie, guess what? They start to lie about more things. And so your mother turns out to be right. It's a habit. And what they discovered is that if you start to lie about little things, you start to lie about little bigger things, and you start to think, and this is what happened in the Gucci sunglasses, well, everybody tells lies. And so after a month, people were telling more lies because they just keep excusing themselves, uh, which I think is absolutely interesting. Um, So she's right, it's a habit. And the problem is uh, without trust, you can't really love other people. Then I read this other, so wait, stop there. Does that make sense? Why you don't want to lie? Because either, either, and they prove this, you don't stay the same. You do not, you're either becoming more loving or less loving. You're either becoming more honest or less honest. And so if you start saying, well, I can just tell this little white lie, how do you know? It just stays there. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. And, and I think we also can look at, too, when you were um, saying little white lies, you're breaking that relationship with the people you're lying to. And so it goes back to love that whole idea of if I truly love someone, am I going to be um, honest um, in, in a way to be deceitful? You know, um, you or,
0: just learn to be more deceitful. Or,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. And
0: then when you get to the Bible, into the book of Revelation, I, I do love this, where. Um, in heaven there are no secrets so you might have pulled some lies over in your life but it's all going to be revealed in heaven and some people when they hear this they hear oh the lamb of god the wrath of the lamb of god lambs are gentle Mm -hmm. and the light they don't want to step into the light so they hide in the darkness because they just do not want their secrets ever told and the, the shock about that is wow they would not choose heaven if they have to be honest um, so they hide in the darkness. So God doesn't kick them into hell. When people say, oh, God sends people to hell. No, no, you choose the darkness. And there's this other book I read that I just loved uh, by this spy master. So he's a, like the best of the best of the spies. Then he, his job was to be a spy, and then his job was to flip people in foreign, uh, countries that are against the United States mm-hmm. to work people to be a double agent Mm. then he had to teach spies how to be spies the interesting part to me was um how they would do it was um it doesn't really matter what it is but they'd say let's say liz McAllister is a russian works for a russian i don't know maybe you do um (laughs) russian embassy so all they have to do is say you know they know liz She wants a bigger car. So you have somebody approach and say, listen, all we want is a telephone book from the embassy. um, And we'll give you $100,000. If she takes $100,000 and gives us the telephone book, guess what we do with the telephone book? Mm -hmm. Throw it away. And Liz is thinking, oh, those stupid Americans, I got $100,000 for something you could just get on any street corner in Russia. Or, you know, um, it's not about the telephone book. It's about the lie. Mm-hmm. This is all you have to do is get them to lie once. And then you work that lie and say, oh, how about a $200,000 for a pin?" And you get them in the habit of lying. And then when you want to press an asset, you say, oh, by the way, Liz, we have this on film. And this is what we really want now. Now, you can give us this. Or, not give it, sis, and we will tell your country that you were giving us telephone books. Well, oppressive countries, they're going to kill her. Mm -hmm. And so he says, the moment you tell a lie is when we own you. It's not about the telephone book. It's about the lie. And when he said that, I kind of thought, oh my God, that's like Satan. Like, Satan just doesn't care what the lie is. Just wants you to teach you how to lie. And and I thought this was interesting, uh, he said, if somebody's a happy person, you can never flip them. Doesn't matter how good of a spy you are, you can never flip a happy person, because Liz, she's willing to lie for $100,000 to get a new car. But if Liz says, oh, my life is happy, I don't. You know, if I have a new car, great, but it's not gonna, ma- like, if she's satisfied, y- there's no way we can flip her. Um, and the opposite, so Satan wants us to lie, uh, Christ, is truth. Christ is truth. And um, this sounds kind of strange. When you lie, you're cutting yourself off from truth. You're cutting yourself off from Christ. And so you become a lie, but you can't see how you're becoming more and more a lie. And think about this. None of, Let's say Liz learns how to lie. None of her theological beliefs has changed. She could still believe in Jesus and Christ and the Eucharist and the Church. But the problem is, she has the same theological beliefs, but she doesn't understand that she's slowly cutting herself off from God. So, like lying is very ins- and um, seductive because you could have the catechism memorized and not be truthful. And without truth, you can't be loving. Okay, what would you have to add?
1: Liz? Just you know, without the truth. I mean, that we're supposed to live out our truth as as you know as followers of Christ. And so, um, you know, as we, you know, sometimes we get caught in our lies, but o- more often than not, we get help. away with them. Mm-hmm. And so when, and, and unfortunately that
0: creates that vice to become. Worst mistake is to get away with a lie. Mm-hmm. Do you know what age a human being lies the most? I'm not sure. How old are you, Liz? Sorry, <laughs> I was, how old are you,
2: <laughs> Oh, I'm, I'm 12.
0: Oh, good. Well, the, hum- the age a human being lies most is 13. So I just want to go on the I'm record. Surprised. Liz, you're a little liar. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but it is 13 because you've learned how to lie, you just haven't been yeah. caught in a lot of lies. And so when you're 13, your parents, believe it or not, they want to really make sure they catch you in lies because Dan Ariely did this interesting study. We believe our own lies. and The more you lie, the more. You, Once you lie, you lie more and more and more. And so you need to be caught. It's embarrassing, but it's the best thing that happens to you.
2: And I've always been told that it's always easier to lie rather than to say the truth. And it just always seems like an easier way to get out of things by lying when really you shouldn't. And that's why it always becomes a bad habit.
0: You pay a heavy price. Yeah.
2: What about, um, and I know that this is something that gets brought up sometimes, is the part
1: where it's like bearing false witness. Um, where, as a witness, um, we're not following um, the truths of the church. So, like to attend, um, you know, to attend a wedding that is n- not within the church
0: or, you know. Well, okay, that gets a little complicated for kids. But if you want to, uh, it depends what truth you're saying. Like, so um, you could go to a wedding outside the Catholic Church if, let's say, your sister gets married and you love your sister, but it's a Hindu ceremony. You don't believe in anything of Hinduism, so why would you attend? You don't believe in multiple gods, Mm -hmm. but it's your sister. And the truth there is that you love her. Um, She probably knows you don't believe in Hinduism. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, In all honesty, she probably doesn't believe in Hinduism. They just like it for the theatrical show. (laughs) Truth be known, they do that all the time. But because they think it's, you know, avant-garde or something. Mm-hmm. But you love your sister. So it, there's always multiple truths to any situation, and you have to figure out it's well, not just one, it's many. Mm-hmm. So the I mean the truth is we participate in a whole country of lies. But if it's not my direct lie, I have less responsibility for it. Does that okay. make sense? Like mm-hmm. um So there's levels. That gets a little complicated, I think, for kids.
1: Yeah. The kids will ask, though. I mean, being a teacher, they ask some hard questions. I would love
0: hard. I mean, I would be proud if a kid asked that question Mm -hmm. because, listen, what truth are you defending? You won't be able to defend all truths. Like, let's say your sister. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's say your sister has a funeral. You're not going to go to your sister's funeral. Of course you are because you love her. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't mean you support everything about your sister's life you're not uh, signing off on everything somebody believes you're just signing off on that one belief that i love her and i can't i can't say no gotcha but like if here's the other part um like um i grew up with a mother who also said listen i will always love you but if you do something immoral or illegal I will not support you. Do not ever think. And so, like, I kind of grew up with that. And you wouldn't believe how many, how many times, all the time, good Catholics will come and say, could you do X? You know, there's competing values to something. But if it means I have to lie, I always use a line my mother used. And My mother would say, I'm not going to help you lie. I'm not going to teach you how to lie. Don't come to me and ask me to sign something that you know is a lie. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, I have to use that with parishioners all the time. I am not going to help you lie. And I'm a little insulted. You would ask me to help you lie. That's different than saying, listen, for the sake of love, I will do this. But I won't lie about something important. Okay. Oh, good. Okay. Last two... Or um last two are uh coveting. So and Faith, once again you're gonna have to help me. What is coveting again?
2: Okay. It's so, such a
0: hard word.
2: Yeah, I sometimes I have to think about it. So coveting is when you are often jealous of what another has and you're not grateful for what's in front of you.
0: Oh, very good. And it could be anything. Um so I'm just kind of curious, Faith. Have you heard about that study on Instagram and teenage girls since you're about to be a teenage girl? I it's kind of sad, but parents should know this, is that kids who are on Instagram have a higher rate of suicide. Yeah. And you think, what's the connection between Instagram and suicide? It's a very serious issue. And i got to tell you, the answer is... That word that's hard to pronounce, what is it? Starts with a C.
2: Cov covet.
0: Coveting, that you get all these pictures that all these girls have a better life and a better, you know, all my and I don't have that life. You start to feel terrible about how you, what you have, what you look, da, 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 and it leads to major depression.
1: Yeah, so you don't get all the likes that
2: you and want. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I would say like fame too. Like you once you get hunger like hungry for being popular you always want more and more very yes good. and eventually you'll start spiraling spiraling you down you don't
0: get enough and you know what um you're right coveting destroys your appetite for good things mm-hmm. it destroys your appetite for the good things that are already in your life and so sin destroys your appetite for life if you have cookies before you eat dinner you're not going to want to eat the nutrition of dinner and eventually cookies, just sugar, you'll ruin your health, coveting long-terms. It, it kills you. Um, it kills you cause it ruins your appetite for what is good. Um, and like the psychologist noted, um, I think this is really funny. Somebody, um, he said he works with wealthy people who are billionaires and they'd say, I just, I thought the first billion would be enough, but if I just had another billion, <laughs> finally I'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Like, the problem is, is that once you start to covet, I mean, isn't a billion dollars enough? Um, more than enough. Yeah. You would think, <laughs> think so, but logically, um, if you're used to coveting, it's like lying. It gets more and more, and there's never enough, even if you have a, a billion. Um you get this black hole of I need more and more and more. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I know that in, in my um, class, um, one of the things we talk about is a priest once posed this question to me, and it's kind of stuck. And it was, what if we had today, what you said you were thankful for yesterday? Like, what would we have? I mean, did you thank God for life? Did you thank God for uh, uh, air and uh, relationships? And how often we, um, we don't we don't thank praise you. and thank first. Um, oh, I love that. And, um, you know, I, we've we've watched last year, the Bible in a year. And um, one of the things that stuck out to me too was that, um, you know, in the Old Testament, the, the 12 tribes, um, Judah means praise. And Judah was always the first to move on. And it, it was kind of that idea that you praise first. And so many times we go straight to, I want that or um, oh, help guys, me. so great. Yeah, help me, help me, um, you know, even with our prayers. Uh, often my prayers are, I need this, Lord, I need this, instead of, thank you, Lord, for all that you have given me to start with that praise.
0: Pray, prayers that is gimme, 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 I think only increases covetousness and you mm-hmm. don't know it. Mm-hmm. So like there's this practice of St. Ignatius where at the end of every day, name three things that you're grateful for and you replay them in your head. So I do that, and I say, one glory be to each. Mm -hmm. And then they did these multiple studies on gratitude, on learning to say thank you for that and thank you for that. People end up happier. Mm -hmm. And what you said is brilliant because theologically, guess what is the opposite of coveting? Even though I just mentioned gratitude, but you mentioned rejoicing. What is the opposite of coveting? rejoicing. Oh. Rejoicing in what is. So like the gratitude exercise help you to be joyful for life right now. So if you're always saying, I just need this to be happy, you're not rejoicing in life. Yeah. Um, so, i tell you a story. I go skiing occasionally with a friend, right? Mm-hmm. Knew him in college, knew his wife in college. And his wife in college, very devout Catholic, very, very sweet person. In college, she was stunningly beautiful, um, but always kind. And uh, anyhow, I thought she might go skiing with us. So, you know, he picked me up to go skiing and I said, oh, your wife's not coming? And he said, no, no, uh, she decided to work. And he said, besides, she, she does like to ski. She just wouldn't ski as much as us, and, but she'd be happy in the lodge. And he said, believe it or not, it doesn't really matter if my wife went skiing or not. Because he said one thing, and this is true, but when he said it, I was like, oh, that's true. He says, one thing she has is that she is joyful when she knows um, other people are having fun. Mm -hmm. So as long as she knows we're out skiing, believe it or not, she'll be happy all day long. If she knows me and the boys are skiing, she's incredibly happy. She doesn't actually have to get anything to be happy. She just has to know that other people have a gift. Um, and I was like, oh, that does really nail her. Um, like, yeah, she, and like, so St. Therese of Lisieux, she says, I'm not that special. I don't have, You know, do you know who Therese of Lisieux was? Yeah, the one holding the flowers, <laughs> roses? Um, she told him roses, because she had this vision that God is throwing all these roses to earth, that God, there's these blessings all around. People don't even know it. Why don't people know the roses, the blessings all around them? They're too busy saying, oh, I wish I was more beautiful or an inch taller. Or little for things. the love of God, more hair. <laughs> um, but they never know the, the roses all around. Mm-hmm. So like my friend's wife, she gathers a lot of roses. They're not really thrown to her, but she just rejoices. So Therese says, I'm not that special. She says, but I rejoice in other people's gifts. I don't want them. I don't. And she doesn't covet other people's, but she's so happy that you have that, and she's over thrilled you have that. I think, well, theologically, so they say rejoicing is the opposite of covetous. That covetous destroys joy.
1: Yeah, and Faith, you were saying something that Mrs. Johnson um, was talking about. In
2: oh yeah, so this was like a little bit earlier, but so she said that there were two perspectives in life. There was one where you could think that. Everything you own is yours. Your own, this kind of relates like the eighth Earth commandment um, or the seventh, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there was one perspective where everything you had was yours. And the second perspective was everything that others had, everything that you had was a gift from God and you should be grateful for what you were given. And I like, I,
1: I, it reminded me of how if we look at, if we look in, In that perspective of what I have as a gift, we're not coveting what other people have.
0: So, can I end with a story about that
2: then? I also had another
0: story. Oh, give me another story. Then I'll end the story about what you just said. So,
2: Mr. Chavez, he is the prime minister at our school. Not prime minister, but the um, uh, faith minister. Faith minister, sorry. Um, And so, he knew this person. And I think he like broke his ribs or something. And rather than being very upset and questioning why it happened to him, he was overfilled and rejoiced that he could just feel a little fraction of pain that Jesus had felt on the cross. And he was so grateful to be able to know that pain and be able to go on this journey with God rather than being envious and angry at God.
0: I do like that. Yeah. They did this study on sadness. Sadness and depression aren't the same thing. But for every suffering and sadness in your life, it correlates that people who know pain and sadness actually tend to be more compassionate and creative. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if you want to get to happy, embrace suffering. But going back to what you said about um, uh, sharing, that um, my, my joy is to share my gift, not to take everybody else's. Um, have you ever heard of this, of an Indian giver?
1: Mm -hmm. That you give and take it back? Mm -hmm.
0: You have never heard that. I've never heard that. It's kind of our generation. Mm -hmm. Indian givers, uh, if I give you a gift and then I come and ask for it back.
2: Oh, that, yeah. And it
0: was meant to be an insult that, but it's mine and you're asking for it back. Where it comes from is that when settlers had come out to the West There is an Indian tribe that has this belief that no gift is yours. It was given by God, the great spirit. Um, And so Indians would give settlers a gift, but the idea in the Indian culture is that if you're given a gift, you get to keep it for so long, but you have to give it away. And the settlers would receive a gift and then think it's theirs and never give it away. And they would believe, Oh no, that's a sin. You have to get away. So, in the Indian tribe, if you're not giving your gift away, they have the right to come back and ask for it so that they can give it to somebody else. And I love, actually, it was meant to be an insult, but I love it. Like any gifts that you have are meant to be given away, not to be coveted and kept. Yeah. So there's this, in that tribe, they have this story, and this is going to sound strange, but they have this story I, I like about the seagull. Do you know why a seagull stands on one leg so it's just a myth. But the Indians said, oh, it's because when God created the world, he gave each animal a gift. And if creation is going to work, every part of creation has to share its gift. But the problem is seagull, um, it was given the gift of light. But the seagull is the most selfish of animals. And it wouldn't share its gift. So, you know, bear didn't know when to sleep and the elk were getting their horns caught in the thicket and nobody could see. So the animals go to Crow, who's the clever, cleverest of animals, and says, oh, you've got to go to your cousin and give get him to give his gift. So Crow goes to Seagull and Seagull holds the light closer because he knows Crow is clever. And... um. uh Anyhow, it's dark, and um, Crow talks to him and says, how come you're not going to um, share your gift? You know, bear can't sleep, animals are getting uh, caught in the forest, and when he's talking, Crow takes a thorn and jabs it into Seagull's foot. So Seagull kept moving away, so when he moved away, he jabbed it. So he thought Seagull thought he stepped on a thorn, Um, and... So Crow said, oh, don't worry, I'll help you pull it out. So he takes Crow, uh, sorry, Seagull's foot and jams the thorn in farther and it hurts Seagull. Crow says, I'm sorry, I can't get the thorn out. It's too small. I'm trying, but I just let out a little light, just a little bit of light. Um, And so Seagull lets out a little light. And... Once again, Crow tries, but he jams a thorn in even farther. And so Seagull cries out, and Crow says, Ah, you know, it's just, there's no way to get the thorn out without you giving all the light away. So Seagull lets all the light out. Creation works, and that's why today Seagull stands on one foot. <laughs> but the point being is that creation, I think, won't work Unless everybody is generous and coveting, wanting to me, me, get, 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 ruins everything. So that's our Purposely Catholic, Catholic. So I want to really thank Faith and Liz for coming and God bless you.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: See you next week.